I'm going to date myself a little bit here, and so many of you know, uh, if you look around, you can tell our church is mainly a bunch of 90s kids, some 80s kids thrown in there, amen, some of y'all are older than that, uh, but mainly 80s and 90s is the majority of our congregation, and uh, when I say 90s kids, I mean the vast majority of our people are hitting the 30s this year, uh, Kaylee hit the 30 this year, you know, several of you are hitting the 30s, she did actually last December, um, but many of us are hitting around that age group, and so many of us grew up around a time where cell phones were not normal. Like, I remember being a kid, and I remember Larry had a phone in his car when we were children, and I thought he was like Inspector Gadget. Uh, I mean, literally, he had a phone in his car. It was massive, and he could make a phone call in his car. And I was like, this is like the future. We are here. We have arrived. And he only had it because of his work, because of his job, but it blew our minds. We thought Larry was so cool because he had this phone in his car. And then as we got older, you know, we got, uh, everybody started getting cell phones. I'll never forget it. My brother had a Nokia green light brick phone that I believe is still fully charged to this day. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Like, I remember you could charge them bad boys, and they would stay charged for like, it seemed like years. You could throw it out the window going 100 mile an hour, and the road would have a dent in it from that phone hitting it, amen? I mean, they were just indestructible. And the whole time growing up, my brother had one, Thomas, and then Pat got one, and my mom was old school. She was very old school. She said, why do you need a phone? You're going to be with me everywhere you go, and if, I, if you need a phone, I'll be the one that to call you on that phone, and you better answer when I call, or the phone will be my phone again. And my mom was very much like that, right? And so Thomas didn't get a phone until he started driving. And then Pat got a phone a little bit earlier than that because Pat was a ladies' man. He was. Notice my past tense there. Uh, you know, and then, so moving on, the thing is truth. And I got a phone when I was much younger. I got a phone when I was around 13 or 14 years old. And I got that green light Nokia had stood the test of time and made its way down the family tree. But I'll never forget it. When I got a little bit older, I got 15. My mom said, hey, you've done good in school. I'm going to get you a phone. And some of y'all, once again, you probably had the same exact phone. I got a Palm Centro with a stylus, baby. <laughs> You'd hit a button and a stylus would pop out and you could use that stylus. I never used a stylus, but it was cool to know I had it, right? And on that Palm Center, I had a full keyboard and you could, you could text 100 mile an hour, right? I went from clicking multiple buttons to get the same letter like Kenneth still does. Uh, you know what I mean? And if you, if you miss it, you got to start all over again. Uh, you know what I'm saying? To finally, I had a keyboard. I had my thumbs were on fire. And as I got older, I found, eventually got an iPhone. And if you did not know this, Pastor Nick, still this day, I'm a diehard Apple fan. Uh, I've had iPhones now. I've had multiple ones. I uh, just now upgraded from a 10 a couple months ago. But used to, when you got a phone, inside the packaging, they would have this massive, thick document. And you would, get, you would open up the packaging, and they'd have this document, and you'd throw the document away because you didn't really care about it. But that was the terms and conditions that you needed to agree to by owning this phone. And so several years ago, what Apple did, as well as Android, which we don't talk about Android, I mean, it's like Bruno, we don't talk about it. Uh, well, Android and Apple, as well as Google and everybody else, started putting their terms and conditions on the phone as soon as you turned on the phone. And it's this massive document, right? And you've got to scroll everything in that bad boy. And at the very bottom, you and me lie every single time. Because it says, have you read and do you agree to the terms and conditions? Amen, yes, in Jesus' name I do. And we never read it. We never acknowledge what it says. We don't even know it. It could say in there, upon your, tenure, upon your third child's 10th birthday, we own him. And they could show up and get him, and you could be like, I don't know what happened. to be like, terms and conditions. Because you just agree to it. You just go with it. You don't even read anything in there. You just assume that it has good stuff in it, and I just want to agree to it. And we do this in multiple things in our life. Like we bought our house last year, and I don't know about you, but I feel like the realtor put some things in there I didn't know was in there, amen? I feel like the loan officer did. Why? Because there's so many documents you sign. She says, sign here, 
Sign here, sign here. And you know what they do because they love you and they want to show grace to you? They try to make it seem like they, they dumb it down to your level what you're actually signing. Well, it could be anything in those documents, right? You're just signing your life away, just signing and signing and signing. Emily got off kind of scotch-free because uh, I was, uh, the loan is actually in my name. I'm saying this as a point here. And I was just signing away, and I was like, ha-ha, the house is going to be in my name. She says, no, the loan's in your name, the house is in both y'all's names. I was like, what the crap? I was like, man, what in the world? What in the world? What in the world? Uh, because I was just signing away. She signed three things. I signed 45 things. Because there's so many things in life we just skip over very quickly and we don't pay any mind to it. And I hate to say this, but there are a majority of Christians, when they get saved, they think this is like terms and conditions. They act like it's terms and conditions. They act like, hey, I don't have to read it. I just agree to it. I agree to what it says. And I'm going to live my life by it, but we don't even know it. Because I promise you, most of us in this room have read some of the hottest books in our generations. Like, I don't know hardly any millennial in here who has not read the Twilight series, amen. I don't know any millennial in here who has not read maybe the uh, Lord of the Rings. I don't know any millennials in here who have not even read or thought about the Harry Potter series, however which way you fall on that, because we are obsessed with good storytelling. And yet we believe as a church, listen to my words there, we believe as a people of God that this is the very word of God and we don't even read it. We don't even read it. I don't know which theologian it was that said this, but it's such a good quote that he said, I believe that the largest dust storm in history would happen if every Christian dusted off the front pages of their Bibles. Oh, what a dust storm that would be if Christians would just pick up the Word of God and read the Word of God. And here's the thing, it's not like we don't have access to it. You know, when I was a kid growing up, you have this massive thing that sat on the coffee table that if a hurricane blew through, you could grab a hold of it and it would save your life called the family Bible. Y'all remember those things? massive Ark of the Covenant thing I'm talking about. Huge, big, massive thing sit on the coffee table. And now we have the Word of God everywhere. If you wanted a different translation, you can just get on your phone right now and look at every translation there is. There's a translation for a translation of a translation. If you don't like the narrator's voice who's reading it to you, you know what you can do? You can have a, a Swahili brother from Africa read it to you in his own dialect. It is amazing the amount of God's Word we are drowning in, and yet we're the most illiterate people in the church today when it comes to God's Word. We don't know it. We don't know it. And I would say there's probably a lot of reasons why we don't know it, and I'm hopefully going to address some of those today, but I would almost guarantee you the number one reason is why we don't know the Word of God is because we don't love the Lord like we should. And I don't say this for you to leave here convicted just to the point that, Pastor Nick, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wheel myself to study God's Word tomorrow. No, I want you to wheel yourself out of love, not of obligation. That's what I want you to read the Word of God. Because look what Peter says here. I want you to pay attention once again. I'm going to read it to you because I want you to understand he is writing this as a witness to events. The events he's talking about in verses 16 through verse number 19, he's talking about this massive moment called the transfiguration. He says, I was there. Look what he says there in these verses. He says, I was there. I was on the mountain with Peter, James, and John when Jesus was on the mountain with us. We just preached about this in Mark a couple of months ago, right? Whenever Jesus transformed before our very eyes, and there was Moses and there was Elijah, and I was there. Peter's like in court saying, I promise to tell the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help me God. I was on the mountain. I was on the mountain, and I heard the Father speak. He even quotes him there. Look what, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. He's saying, guess what? I know you can trust the words of Jesus because I know him. 
because I've seen him, because I've been with him. For three and a half years, me and my brothers walked with this man. We watched everything he did, and we saw him get crucified. We saw him get resurrected, and I am here as his apostle. I am here as one of the people who pastored one of the first churches. Peter is saying, listen to my words because what I'm telling you is true. It's true. How do we know it's true? Why? Because he says what? The first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, but men spoke. Guess what? What did men do? Men produced this because they spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. They were carried along by God Himself. That God literally worked through these men and women, you could arguably say, because some of the authorship we don't know of, but God worked through these individuals to give us the canon of Scripture we have today. So my first point, which is a very, very low point to start with, I want to tell you this, that I want you to know right now that script, the Scriptures are historically accurate. Look at me here. The Scriptures are historically accurate. If there's any more reason for us to know and trust the Bible, we ought to think of that in human terms, that we know the Scriptures are historically accurate. You know what's crazy? You can get on a plane right now and fly to places in this book that this book mentions. Not some made-up dream area, not some place you don't know about. I'm talking about a geographical place you can get on a plane right now. You can go to Israel right now, and they will tell you, archaeologists have proven it, that they can prove you that where Jesus is talking about, you are standing within 15 meters of the place he probably said the words he said here. That you can go and stand in those places, church. That you can go and stand in those momentous moments in Scripture and look around. I heard one brother tell me to me like this. He said, when you read the Bible, it's like black and white. When you go to Israel and read the Bible, it's like you have color vision. It's like the things you used to read about, now you can fully see. Why? Because when you go there, you see the Word of God differently because you're seeing that's really, really true. That it's all true. It's historically accurate. I love what Vody says about this. This is what Vody says. I think Joey is going to put it on the screen for us. I think he put it up there. It's such a good quote. But I choose to believe the Bible because it's a reliable collection of historical documents written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other witnesses. That's the first part. Guys, that's a massive statement. Do we understand that if this stuff was made up, there were people alive during the time who would have called on it and said, that's made up. That's fake news. That's false. Even now, we have people who say, like, I'm a fact checker. And we know some of those can be flawed. But do you understand that if there's something out there that we all know to be true, we as a society as a whole, if somebody lies, we call them out and say, you're a liar because we all know it's true. When Peter is writing these words, there are people who are still alive who you can run and ask, is Peter telling the truth because they saw it themselves? Look at this. In the book of Acts, even, whenever, you know, uh, the author there, which is Luke, is describing the resurrection. He's talking about when Jesus ascended. There were over 500 witnesses who can verify his story. What Luke does in Acts and in the book of Luke, it's, two, it's one volume that we've separated into two. He is giving a historically reportive account of this person named Jesus and his life and the mission of the early church on a historical level saying, guess what? I've done the research. I've tested the eyewitnesses. I've talked to Mary. I've talked to Peter. I've talked to Paul. I've talked to all these brothers and sisters. And I can promise you it's true because if it wasn't, people wouldn't allow it. Look at me, church. If they could prove this wasn't real, they would have already done it. 
But this is the most widely sold, most indispensable book we have. Why? Because it's true. Historically, it's true. Why? Because there's eyewitness accounts. And here's the big thing. You know how I know? I, t- I say this every Easter, but it probably goes in one ear and out the other. You know how I know the resurrection is true without reading or doing the historical work? I know the resurrection is true because of the disciples. How do I know it's true because of the disciples? Because those men were cowards before Christ, after, I mean, before Christ died. And after Christ died and was resurrected, they are bold as lions. Because let me tell you what they knew. They said, if this man can overcome the grave, if this man can literally defeat death, who are, what are we to fear? So it literally, I mean, that's the thing. Why? Nobody would die for a lie. Nobody would. If somebody's holding a gun to your head right now and says, and to ask you to, to reiterate a lie and say, either you renounce a lie or I'm going to kill you. No, nobody's going to die for that. Because the reality is, it is historically accurate. Why? Because I, would, I love what Vody says at the very end of that. Go, if you don't care, Chris, put it back up there again. Such a powerful, good quote. I want to walk you through it. They report supernatural events that took place in fulfillment of specific prophecies. So that supernatural events that took place because of prophecies. Look at that, supernatural events. So there are events in the Word of God we cannot prove scientifically. That's why it's called supernatural. It's supernatural why? because you cannot prove it. It makes no sense on the scientific spectrum. But let me tell you something. At the end of the day, science can only be founded because God has designed the universe to operate by certain laws himself. So science cannot prove there is a God. Why? Because God proves there is science. Because he is the one who determines the laws in the first place. So we do not say, well, I believe in it because it's scientifically accurate. No, there are things in this book that are not scientifically accurate, but they are true because they're supernatural events that did happen. Supernatural events that did happen. So saying that, look what he goes on to say. And they claim that their writings are divine rather than human in origin. That statement is such a powerful thing that the, that the writings are divine. That these are not just historically accurate, but my next thing for you, my next big point for you, is that scriptures are the very word of God. Word of God. If you go back uh, over in Europe any time, and you go to the old churches that used to exist uh, during the massive move of the Protestant Reformation, especially when it comes to Reformed theology, if you go to like Charles Spurgeon, go look at the tabernacle, if you see a picture of where Spurgeon preached, what you will see is the pulpit is extremely high. The pulpit is extremely high, not only for an orator to be able to orate the Word of God and preach the Word of God, but they did that in such a way because they wanted the church wanted everyone in the building to recognize the Word of God is higher than us. When the Word of God is spoken, we are to listen. You know, in some Baptist churches, and we used to do this years ago, many of you all remember this, you've been here a long time, I used to have you stand. When the Word of God was read, I would have you stand to show, hey, what is reading from these pages is different from me reading a manual, is different from me reading a novel, is different from me reading the news, or if you're getting old like I am, it's different from you reading closed caption because I can't hear it if I can't see it, amen. Uh, because the reality is, this book, when we read from these pages, it's like God himself is speaking. Now you might say that, or you might act like it. You, I can tell by room. Some of y'all saying, amen, I get it. Some of you like, I don't worry. Do you understand what I mean by this? That scriptures are the very word of God. 
the very Word of God. Pastor Nick, why is the Scripture such a big deal? Shouldn't we be able to learn from God without the Scriptures? Let me tell you what that is. I'm going to give you a brief theological course right now. That's called general revelation. Okay, General revelation is whenever you see God's handiwork, you can recognize there is a Creator. Romans 1 tells it to us like this, that everyone on the planet is without excuse to pay homage to God because you can look at creation itself and know there is a God. That's, that's natural or general revelations, what they call that. Where if you look out, you can see there's a great architect, there's a great designer, there is someone who is in control of everything. That's general or natural revelation. Here's the thing. People even in Africa who have never ever heard the gospel, guess what? They will bow down to creation itself. Why? Because they know they are made to worship something or someone. But we are very, very blessed. Look at me here. We are so blessed. Because we not only have natural, natural or general revelation, we have what's called special revelation. That's what this book is. Special revelation is God's word being written down throughout the ages for me and you to know his very character. Look at me. We know the, the most we can know. Understand there we're limited because we're finite creatures. The most we can know about the Lord, he has revealed to us in the scriptures. So look, I'm going to say some things that's going to offend some of y'all, but I hope you're ready for it. This is why whenever someone says these words, it is extremely dangerous in the same God told me. Look at me. If somebody says, God told me, and what they're saying is not found in this book, then I would say what they're fixing to say is a lie. Because we take every thought captive. We take every word and compare it to the Word of God. God is not going to give you a word that cannot be found in His Word because your word is a lie from your own mouth when God wor- God's Word does not lie. This is why whenever somebody says, well, you know, the Lord told me, that is extremely dangerous. Because listen to me, it's going to blow your mind, but I, I want you to really understand what I'm getting at. For God to speak is for God to act. You missed it. Just, just blew up, your, your ears should be falling over. When God speaks, God acts. You know how I know it's so difficult? Because I'm a husband, amen. I got an amen from the husbands in the room. I'm a dad, amen. You know what it means? Sometimes I'll speak, John, and I don't act. Sometimes I'll put things out there, and I don't really mean it. You know how many times I've been sitting in my chair reading a book, and Esther be in the other room, and I'll say, hey, hey, I'm going to come in there. I imagine at two years old, she's looking at her toy figurines, and he ain't coming in here. Because there's many times where I'll write checks with my mouth and my hands and my legs don't cash, Amen. There's times when I say things and I don't do things. There's been many a times where Emily's told me to do things and I said, yes, dear, I will do that. Four years later, it's still not done. Because <laughs> for me to speak and me to act don't always line up together. And don't look at me like you're judgmental. Because look, what, here's the reality. All of us have a gap between what we say and what we do. Children, and once again, in the 90s and earlier on, you probably heard this phrase, do as I say. Exactly. Why? Because we all have that gap. In my opinion, some of the best parenting you ever have in your life is when you can get that gap as, as short and as narrow as you can. Everybody's got a gap. You're not perfect. Everybody's going to have a gap. But if we can get that gap as close as we can, that is good parenting, that is good husbandry, that is good uh, wifery, I think that's not even a word, uh, but it's good stuff, okay? That's really good stuff. Everybody can get that gap lower and lower and lower and thinner and thinner and thinner. But listen to me, not so with God. 
When God speaks, it is like He is acting because God's words carry out actions. You don't believe me, do you? Then you haven't read the Bible. The Word of God tells us what? God spoke. Let there be light. You know what the Bible says? And it was. So His Word, the very pronouncement, listen to me here, how powerful is that? That the very pronouncement of Him saying it causes it to happen. Because for God to speak is for God to act. And for God to act is for God to speak. Because what God does when He acts is He speaks. And when God chooses to act, he, most of the time He does speak. But do you understand me? He doesn't have to speak, but He speaks for our benefit. Do you ever think about that? That God chooses to communicate on our level for our benefit and our good, not because He needs to, because we're, worth, we're worthless and we need Him to. God chooses to use the medium of our communication to commune with us. God chooses to do that. You don't have a toddler in your house, because let me tell you something, there's a lot of things that are lost in communication, amen? Esther will get talking so quick sometimes, I think she's speaking in tongues in our house. She'll get to talking, saying things. She'll get so excited. Like yesterday, she was, I told her Emily was uh, having some prayer time by herself. She was napping. Amen. She needed it. And then there was Lottie. She was napping. And Esther got up a little early. And I said, Esther, do not go in there and see Lottie. She said, okay, Daddy. Okay, Daddy. And I said, Esther, look at me. Do not go in there. And I don't know where she picked this up. She said, I promise. I promise. I promise. I, I lie sleeping. Lie sleeping. Sure enough, she left, went around the hallway, and next thing I saw on the baby monitor, there she was. Had her little shopping cart, just walking by her. Just checking on Miss Daisy, amen, just seeing how she was doing. And she gets, so when she gets in trouble, I'm like, Esther, why'd you do that? Daddy, potty. She get talking so quick, so fast. Then it gets lost in communication. Sometimes I got, I got to bring in our interpreter in our house, my wife, amen, and say, tell me what she is saying. Because I would long to be able to speak to her where she could understand everything I say. I, you know how many barriers that break down? How many problems that break down her house? If I could be like, blah, 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 blah. and she'd be like, that's right. That's right, Daddy. Even for her, I can't imagine being so frustrated. She wants to communicate with me, and sometimes I, she can't say the words. She says, I showed you. I showed you. What our great God has done, look at me, is He has chosen to get down on our level. He has chosen to communicate through our language to tell us His character and His will and His desires and His story. Oh, what a marvel that is. That God chooses to communicate so we can understand Him. He doesn't have to. Think about that. He doesn't have to even let us know anything about Him, but God invites us into a relationship. I'm going to read you the Scripture um, in Second Timothy, that talks about the Scripture is the very Word of God. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you have acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through Christ, through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture, look what it says here. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. It says all of Scripture. Guys, let me tell you, I know some of y'all, your Bible daily reading plan is already dead. Amen. Like, let's be honest. You're in the Bible recap, and you can get past the first couple chapters of Job. I mean, you went, Womp. And all of you are thinking, I'm really faithful. You'll die in Zechariah or Leviticus, amen. That's where dreams come to die. 
But do understand me that there is not one iota, there is not one T that is crossed, there is more I, that is dot, there is not one sentence that is ended, that is not profitable by God, and all of Scripture is breathed out by Him. All of Scripture is breathed out by God. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make some of y'all really upset. Y'all ready for this? The words in red and the words in black are both the same. They're both the same because they're both the words of God. The only reason why the words in red are there to draw our attention in the text to say, hey, Christ is speaking here. But do not ever, ever think that the words in red are more important than the words in black in Exodus because it's the same God. It's the same God. If you've got a newer Bible, you'll notice they took out words in red. Like this Bible right here, you can it's kind of see it doesn't have any words in red on it because it's all the Word of God. It's all supposed to be the Word of God. I love what God says about His, His very Word accomplishing what it's supposed to in Isaiah. Isaiah 55, verse 10 and 11 says, like this, Listen to this. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth fruit and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, for it shall accomplish so which I purpose and shall succeed in the things which I have sinned. You know what God's saying here? You probably heard it said, God's word will not return void. That's that verse. What God is meaning is God saying, guess what? You won't be able to see it, but my word always does what it's supposed to do. Like, there's been many times in my life I've cursed the rain. There's been many times I've been driving in the road. But you look at old J-Love over here. Every time he sees clouds, he's saying, praise God. Amen. Why? Because he's ready for some rain. Because for him, he knows that he can, he can do everything he can do. He can put all the crop out. He can make John run ragged. Amen. He can do everything he wants to do, but he cannot make it rain. But what does the Scripture say? The Scripture says what? That like rain and snow come down and take care of the crops. God's word comes down and takes care of our very lives, brings forth fruit in its own time. I'm going to read you a long thing. Um, if you did not know, the reason why I'm a Baptist is not because I was born a Baptist. The reason why I'm a Baptist is because I firmly believe Baptists have the highest view of Scripture among people who are evangelicals. I believe Baptists hold the Bible to be in high regard. So much so that in the Baptist Faith and Message 2000, which is a governing document that documents why we are Baptists and how we know we're Baptists, they say this about the Holy Scriptures. Listen to this. The Holy Bible was written by men, divinely inspired, and is God's revelation of Himself to man. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matters. Therefore, all Scripture is totally true and trustworthy. It reveals the principles by which God judges us, and therefore is and will remain to the end of the world the true center of Christian union, and the supreme standard by which all human conduct, creeds, and religious opinions should be tried. All Scripture is a testimony to Christ, who is Himself the focus of divine revelation. All of Scripture. So here's what I'm getting at. How do I know we, have, we, we probably believe scriptures are historically accurate? We probably believe that. Like you've probably been in church all life and say, hey, I agree with that statement. But you know how I know we as a people don't really believe this book is divine in its authorship? That it's the very word of God? We don't submit to it. We'll read God's word and think it's God's opinion instead of God's command. And there are a big difference between someone's opinions and God's command. Do you see what it says there? That it is 
the Bible that we take everything and compare it to. Because let me tell you, reality, the world's reality, does not determine what reality is. It is God's Word that determines what reality is. So we take everything the world gives us and compare it to the Word of God. Now, I'm not saying you get down, you're like, man, God, I don't know, should I buy an F-150 or buy a GMC, Lord? Lord, let me search that. Lord, let me go to Psalm 25. And it's going to say in there, thou shalt buy the GMC. Uh, you know, it's not going to say that. Because there are other, there's a lot of things out there that God's not concerned about. But it is good to know, look at me here very carefully, it is good to know there are things in here God has spoken on that God is concerned about. Like, there are a lot of things the Bible doesn't say, just point blank. I wish it did. Like, I wish it did say that point blank, but it just doesn't say it. But what we can do is a thing called Christian ethics, which we read the Bible and we take a whole big skew of ideas that the Bible offers and say, hey, we believe this is how God has spoken on the matter. Because God has been consistent in what He said. And here's the reality. We have to remember this, church. Culture is constantly changing their narrative. God has not once changed His narrative. God's not once said, hey, I, I got it wrong, because He doesn't get things wrong. He's, his Word is true. His Word is always true. My last point as I begin to close here in a minute, which means i got 45 more minutes, amen? The Scriptures are communing with God Himself. Listen to me. The Scriptures are God communing, are communing with God Himself. When you're reading this book, you are communing, you're communicating with God Himself. Can I be really honest with you this morning that I am not that great of a husband? Can I be honest with you? I'm not. I'm really not that good. I'm trying by God's grace. I'm a lot better than I used to be five years ago. We've been married five years this, uh, this coming up spring. But I'm not going to lie to you. Our first year, and you're just thinking, I can't believe he's saying this. My wife knows it. I mean, she lives with me. It's not like it's a surprise to her. My first year of marriage was extremely hard. I always tell people, you that first year, if you can get through without saying the D word, you've done a good job, amen. This is hard. Especially if you do it biblically and you do it the right way possible. You don't live together. and you Because you get together and you find out that she and he do different weird things. Do all kinds of weird things. It's just extremely difficult. And I'll tell you why it's difficult for me. Because I like to argue. Can I get amen from some of y'all? I like to debate. That is one of my spiritual gifts, I believe, amen. Uh, I'm joking there. And I like to argue to the point that when Emily is telling me something, I'm not listening to her. I'm forming my argument, what I'm about to nail her with. And so what happens is Emily will be talking to me about a problem we've had. And we've always got conflict. If somebody looks at you and says, we've been married 45 years and we've never had a conflict, somebody's lying. Because you're going to have conflict. You've got two sinners saying I do. But there's so many times she'll be talking to me about something I did wrong and instead of me listening, Joey, to think about, hey, I should really repent of my sin. Hey, I should really, really say I'm sorry. What I'm doing is I'm making my own self-righteous claim. And you know what I do? Automatically, she says, you did this. You know what I do? Well, you did that. And we start slinging mud. And so because at the end of the day, we as a culture, we don't listen to understand. We listen to form arguments. How do I know? Exhibit A, Facebook. People don't get on there to share their ideas. They get on to argue more than anything. They'll put something out there just controversy because they just want to argue with somebody. And so we don't listen to one another. I'll give you a really good, really good, deep, deep quote. Y'all ready for this? Somebody says, you're just going so profound. I don't think you're ready for it. You have two ears and one mouth for a reason. Because we don't listen. 
We don't listen. And to listen is to communicate. Because it is the other half of talking is listening, right? That's the other half of communicating. But we don't like to listen. You know how I know we don't like to listen? Especially because when somebody tells you something you don't want to hear, you'll go ask somebody until they tell you what you want to hear. Hey, should I buy that truck? No, you don't need that truck. You go ask your girlfriend, hey, you think I should buy that truck? And you'll go to that one guy who's always broke, who always has a nice truck, and say, hey, should I buy that truck? And say, you should buy that truck. Uh, because at the end of the day, guess what? You will find somebody who you feel like, quote-unquote, listens to you. What does it mean to listen? What does it mean to sit with someone and look at them in the eyes and to say back to them what they just said to you in your own words? That shows, hey, I was listening. That's what my wife wants. She wants me to listen. How do I know? Because right before we go to bed, she'll want to talk to me. And she'll want me to just listen. She just wants me to listen. She wants me to stay awake. Amen. Praise God. Uh, she'll say, I just want you to listen. She wants to get things off her chest. And she gets anxious sometimes. She just wants me to listen and wants me to be there. But I just want to sleep. Because I don't want to listen. Because my listening is done. But she just wants me to listen. And I don't know about you husbands, but I've learned she don't want my opinion. She just wants me to listen. She's like, hey, you know, Susie did this at work. I'm thinking, well, this way you should tell Susie. I'm not done. Because she don't want me how to f- tell her how to fix Susie. She just wants me to listen, right? How often when it comes to the Word of God do we not listen? Do we not listen to it? Now, when tragedy strikes, you know what you do? You'll run to it. When somebody dies, you'll go to Psalm 23 and you'll read it. But how often do we listen to the Lord? I mean, really read His Word and listen to the Lord. Because I would tell you like this, if you don't love some, I mean, if you don't listen to someone, I would say it's probably because you don't love them like you should. And you love yourself more than the person you're listening to. Because you know what we do because we're sinful creatures? We think what we have to say is more important than anybody else has to say. What do they have to say? You know, I know this, we interrupt people. That's one of the things I've been trying to work on when somebody's telling you something. We interrupt them, say, oh, I'm sorry. Right, let me say this. Oh, I'm sorry, continue. Why? Because we think what we have to say is more weighty than what they have to say. And it's because we have a love problem. We don't love them and see them and take their words to heart like we should. And we think what we have to say is more valuable than what they have to say. And I would argue, once again, I know some of you might disagree with me. That's okay. I'm not saying it's the same for everybody. But I would argue that the vast majority of the time, the reason why we don't read the Word of God is because we don't want God's opinion. We don't want God's commands. We don't want God's Word on the matter because we think what we know is best. And we'd rather read our Bible and our name and our words and live by it than to submit ourselves to the Word of God. Because look at me, everyone in here is submitting to somebody's word. You're submitting to somebody's word. The question is, is it the true word or not? You're submitting to it. You're being transformed by the renewing of your mind, either to the world standards or to the word standards. But you're being transformed. You're being changed. You're being molded. You're being shaped. Because you're bringing yourself underneath someone's authority. The world will tell us, hey, the only thing that matters is power, love, sex, and money. That's it. That's the only things that really matter. And we bring ourselves underneath that umbrella and think, hey, if I have power, if I have the right kind of partner, if I have the right kind of money, if I have all these things, then I'll be successful. But the Word of God tells us, well, you are an image bearer of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You don't need those things to have value. You have value because of who you are and whose image you're made in, not because of things you've done. 
Look at me, that's two very different narratives. The world says you've got to do, the cross says it's done. That's two very, very different narratives. The world says we don't know what a man or a woman is. The Word of God says they were made in the image of God, male and female, He made them. There's two very different narratives. Guys, we've got to bring ourselves under the authority of Scripture and says, I'm going to believe what God has to say on the matter. I'm going to trust God's Word. I'm going to trust God's Word. You know, I'm not a smart man. I'm really not. I'm, I'm, I'm not. I have like one area of expertise, and you're seeing it right here, and I'm not that good at this what I'm doing. Amen? I'm just not. That's my one area. Some of these men in here, let me tell you something. If Chris comes to my house and says, hey, you've got a plumbing issue, I'm going to take what he says to the bank. Because that's his field, right? That's his area of expertise. If he says it, I believe it. And if he says, hey, you should do this, I'm going to do it. Why? Because he knows what he's talking about. I submit myself to his word on the matter and do what he tells me to do because that's his field. God is the expert in every daggum field. There's not a field he's not an expert in. And so we bring ourselves under his authority and say, what you have said is what I will believe because you've been known to be trustworthy. You've been known to be trustworthy. Because you take his word on the matter. You take his word on the matter. James says it to us like this, be you not just hearers of the word, but doers. Take what God has said and actually do it. Because let me tell you, that's where the blessing is. Look at me. Coming to church, hearing a sermon, leaving here and going about your day is not where you experience the blessing of the Lord. No, the blessing of the Lord is when you hear the word of God on Sunday and you try to live it out on Monday. When it changes the very way you live. That's when God's blessing invades our lives. And I'm not talking about blessing financially. I'm talking about spiritual blessings in Christ. Invade our lives and make us more like the image of His Son. But let me issue some caution here. We have two ends of the spectrum. Every week, I feel like I've told you there's two ends, right? There's two ditches. You've got the people who don't read the Word of God at all. They don't need the Word of God. And on the other end, you've got people who are experts in the law. And both people miss what the law is about. Because on one end, you've got modern Christian American churchgoers who I would arguably say are the most illiterate Bible people in the world today. And then on the other end, you've got Pharisees, who they knew the law so much, and they practiced the law to such a degree, but they missed the author who wrote the law in the first place. And they missed what the law was pointing to in the first place. But I'll tell you what does happen. I'll tell you what happens. If the Pharisees would have got saved, this would have happened to them. They would have seen the law not as a burden, but as a blessing. Because when you're an unbeliever, you read the book, it says it's so weird, it's so backward, it's so old-fashioned. The Bible doesn't know what it's talking about. But when you get more mature in Christ, when you really start reading the Word of God, you start figuring out that the law is a good thing. Why? Because it saves you. It saves you. You don't believe me. You don't believe me, do you? Let you have one really, really bad car crash going over the speed limit. You know what you do the rest of your life? You'll drive the speed limit. Because you've experienced the curse of the law because you did not obey the law. But if you have a wreck and you break the law and you experience the harm of it, you'll submit yourself to the law because you figure out that the law is there as a blessing, not a burden. Guys, read this book to know what God's will is for your life and read it to learn about the Lord so that you can see He wants good for you. You believe in the Scriptures not only because they're historically accurate, but because God wrote them Himself. And God wrote them Himself 
so that we will be a people who will commune with Him. So we get to know Him. If you say that you love the Lord and you don't read His Word, I would, I would say you don't love the Lord. Because to love Him is to want to get to know Him. And look at me here carefully. And to know Him is to want to know Him more. Many when we first got married, there were many a night, I mean, first, not before we first got married, when we were first dating, there were many a nights we would fall asleep on the phone together. Wake up, it'd be like seven hours on there, and you'd have to hang up. Like, we just talked about the whole entire night. We, we had this longing. We wanted to know each other more. We wanted to know each other more. Know each other more. And sadly, when you do get married, you think, well, I know them so well. I know them so well. I don't have to really get to know them more. But really, if you think about it, marriage is a lifelong journey of you pulling back a layer of an onion, getting to know them more and having intimacy, where you're so known by them, and you know them so much so, that you have such a connection that you live long enough, and you do it long enough, and you do it well, that when they die, you'll shortly follow, because you cannot exist without the other. Because you're so known. I long for that. I long to be known, and I long to know. You have a God who knows you better than you know yourself. And you know what He's given to you? He's given you a book that says, this is how you know me. This is how you know me. Think about if your kid was born, and the doctor said, hey, here's Esther's manual. This is going to tell you everything you need to know about Esther. This is going to tell you everything. You know what I do? I'd go home, I'd read that bad boy. I'd be like, this is really important. You've been given a book who you know is from the very hand of God. Forty authors spanning a period of 1,500 years. Sixty-six books cohesively together, not contradicting itself, but totally together. It's a very act of God to have this book. And yet we only pick it up when we go to church on Sundays. Oh, there will be people who really understand that his words are life. I love what Peter says to him there at the end of John's gospel, John chapter 6. Jesus looks at the crowd and he says some hard sayings, the word of God says, and then many of, him, many of them left. He had a massive following. Guess what? A lot of them left. I love what Jesus turns to Peter and says, Peter, will you and the rest of these men leave as well? And I love probably the smartest thing Peter ever said because he was inspired by the Lord to say it, amen. But he looked at Jesus and he said these beautiful words, who else has the words of eternal life? Where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. Ladies and gentlemen, when you pick up this book, you are holding the words of eternal life. Its beginning is God, its end is God, and everything in the middle is pointing to Christ. Won't you read it? Won't you get to know it? Won't you submit your life and really truly believe in the Scriptures? Won't you come? Won't you come? Every head to bow, every eye to close. Nobody looking around.